Hello and welcome to the NFL UK Saints podcast as part of the First and Ten Podcast Network. I'm Jake Pittman here with my co-host Rowan Smith. Rowan, a better week for the Saints. Definitely, much more like it. I think we're uh, we're back a little bit happier for the uh, the huge listener base this week. That's it. It was uh, it was a great Sunday evening uh, viewing. Really, it was all the best. Everything you could want. A massive game from Michael Thomas, a shocking game from Jameis Winston, and uh, the defence coming up with some pretty special plays. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've just been uh, going back through this on uh, Coach's Film and Gaming 40 to uh, just before the recording, and um, I was I was a little bit worried about, I think it was like 58 seconds in, and after that it was it was pretty pretty easy going. The, uh, the Kamara fumble and almost recovery on... Uh, on the first drive was about as scary as it got. Yeah, I agree. I think we were pretty comfortably 20 nil up until uh, a couple of minutes towards the end of the second quarter. And really, I mean, Tampa Bay were never really in this game. No, it was, um, yeah, you, you sort of expect to see them as they have been for the last few weeks, kind of getting involved in shootouts and throwing the ball around and, you know, giving up big plays, getting out of big plays as well. But um, they just looked... They looked tired and ordinary this week, um, giving up huge plays to people like Jared Cook up the middle, um, way too much running room for Kamara, way too much receiving room for Kamara and um, letting Michael Thomas do what he does. Yeah, and it was. Uh, we'll touch on Michael Thomas in a bit because I, I, I want to go through what a freakish season he's having. But uh, it was great to see Kamara back seemingly fully fit. He was he returned a couple of punts, so I figured he must be fully fit if they're throwing him in on special teams as well. Um and really, kind of as we as we predicted last week, uh, let Jameis make some mistakes. I mean, he, he even threw in a couple of left-handed throws, which he seems to have more success with than when he threw it in his right hand. Um, yeah, I, I think I posted on the um, on the Saints first and ten Twitter account at the end of the game. I um, th- there are a few things that make me happier as an NFL fan, as a Saints fan, than watching Jameis Winston screw up. It's um, it's like after dinner theatre. It's just a beautiful thing. It really is. And the first interception, sorry, my throat. Uh, the first interception actually wasn't his fault. It was a bit of a bizarre juggling act from OJ Howard that led to a diving interception from Demario Davis. But that to me sort of epitomized the, I guess, mercurial nature of this Tampa Bay team that, um, you know, they'll have weeks when all the pieces click together. And then you've got weeks like that where you've got a guy trying to kind of catch the ball behind his back and it ends up being turned over. Yeah, they've. Um, I think if they'd had, if they'd had the best luck that they could have done since they drafted Winston, uh, they could have been incredible every year. There's, there's a lot of very near misses, uh, mistakes that could have been, could have been huge plays, could have been awful plays, and uh, they tend to kind of get uh, the, a decent amount of luck, sort of fifty-fifty. But um, we've talked for a lot of the year about how the Saints are really rushing to the ball on defence, whether it's Von Bell or Demario Davis or whoever it is. And I think even though that interception was with three seconds left in uh, uh, in the first half, that was another good example of that, of wherever the ball's in the air, whatever's going on, we're rushing to the football, we're crowding the receiver, and there's always someone there to make a play. Absolutely. And I think when you look at the the three other interceptions, who was responsible for them? Second one was a Kiko Alonso tip pass into the arms of Von Bell. Then you had a Marcus Williams pick six and then PJ Williams stepping up with an interception as well. So reassuring to see the depth guys as well, making some plays. Um, 
and you know as, as you said it, it was a very comprehensive uh, performance and back to the defense doing what they've done best all year and yeah. really the, my the, the prediction of the week for mine I saw something and I can't remember the analyst who put it out there but their prediction before the game on Sunday was that Michael Thomas would have um, more yards than Chris Godwin and Michael Mike Evans combined that prediction was four yards short of being bang on which is just remarkable so Thomas had about 114 yards himself I think the two Tampa Bay receivers had about 118 uh, combined and most of that was in the second half once. it was garbage time yards yeah um well I think we've we've talked previously about um getting some more kind of features on here and, and things that we can come back to regularly and things that the uh, the listeners can listen out for. So uh, just to start off with that, I think, I don't know if you want to do this after after this week, but um, what was your favourite Jameis Winton interception this week? <laughs> favourite Jameis I think um, it's a good one. I think the Marcus Williams one, just because I have, I still, I've watched it a few times and I still have no idea who he was trying to throw the ball to. Um the OJ Howard one comes close purely because it was a bit of a kind of juggling circus um, interception. But I, I'm going to go Marcus Williams because it was just nowhere near receiver and it came back for six. I um the I think the I've, I've only been to two NFL London games. The, the second one was um was the Giants and the Rams uh, when it was still Case Keenum for the Rams and I remember like the last pass he th- uh, Case Keenum threw in that game. It was to it was into the end zone, and when you watch the highlight reel back, um, there's nobody in a white jersey anywhere in the frame. It's <laughs> it's, uh, it's a, a giant safety who's not really paying attention. He's just kind of sat there waiting for it, and there's nobody else apart from him in the shot. It was like that. It was just there was nobody else he was going to pick out apart from Marcus Williams. But um, for me, it's it's got to be the last one, just for Mike Evans's reaction. Did did you see what he said? after no uh (laughs) it's a beautiful thing he um the the ball is sort of like a for anyone who hasn't seen it it's kind of like a floated pass up um in a on a corner out like a when you're doing uh when you're learning how to play madden and it shows you what to do a high throw on the first time it's that kind of like a little dink into the corner so that mike evans can go up over the top but it's so far short of the receiver that um it's it's a really easy pick for pj williams who's a lot shorter than mike evans yeah it gets it gets picked off. Uh, the DB kneels down the end zone, and Mike Evans turns around, walks to walks up to Jameis Winston, and screams, "Jameis, what the hell was that?" At, <laughs> at the camera, and you can lip read it perfectly. It is oh, it's funny. That, that is brilliant. I like that. I, I think I would have changed my answer had I known that. But um, for me, the pick six was <laughs> was great. But I mean, it, it says a lot about his quarterbacking in that game. Our biggest concern was the size difference with guys like Mike Evans and having Marshawn Lattimore out, having PJ Williams, who is very small in my eyes, um, getting an interception in basically a jump ball situation in the end zone is just ludicrous. Like, it should never be allowed to happen. And I think the comparison you see is Brees' touch pass to Jared Cook in the end zone for the second touchdown jumble situation perfectly placed where only the receiver can get it there's a difference in the qbs is is evident right there yeah i think if we're if we're talking about the number of of genuine franchise qbs that there are in the league and, and whether cam newton's won whether james winston's won um i think that's your that's your answer right there it's um yeah the difference in quality 
in a passing league where you know, yeah, you can you can run and you can do the uh, these kind of broken plays that that Winston tries to do, but if you can't sit in the pocket and throw a pass in the end zone to score with some kind of regularity, you're not going to succeed. And that's that's the difference there between a, a Hall of Famer and a, a guy who's probably going to be a free agent pretty soon. Yeah, it really is. I think uh, Mariota being benched in Tennessee is is probably the kind of harbinger of doom for for Winston in Tampa Bay too. I think um, they're getting pretty close now, you'd think, to moving on um, or assessing their options at least in the free agency market or in the draft for next year because, you know, as much as he can be quite a handy uh, quarterback in fantasy football settings, uh, he's an absolute killer on the field with those interceptions and missed opportunities. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think we're if we're looking back at the last few years, and if we sort of take Winston and, and Mariota's uh, draft class onwards, the people who've been taken in the sort of top one and two, and these are both teams who are really desperate for a, a throwing talent, and you know that we have to get our franchise quarterback this year. The people yeah. who rushed for those and have, have really reached for it have. I can't think of the last guy who was taken high up in a draft who's actually succeeded at quarterback. The, you look at the guys who are doing well, the Deshaun Watsons and the Patrick Mahomes, you know, they're all they're all going in the in the tens, fifteens, not ones and twos. And then you've got Baker Mayfield falling to bits, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky. You know, there's taking a two. It's it's almost like the teams that are picking really high up towards the start of the draft are there because they keep making bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your franchise ultimately does live and die by, um, for the most part, the quality of a quarterback. And and Brees, you know, funnily enough, to to back up what you're saying, was a mid-round, uh, first-round pick, I believe, back in the day. Um, it's just so much draft capital to take a risk on, well, not to take a risk, but to pick a quarterback like that. It, it's so much draft capital that you feel the need to stick with them year after year. And I think that's, how that Jameis Winston situation is working out now is that they they spent such a high draft pick on him um, that you ultimately your front office has to stick with him or admit they're wrong. Um, but this kind of period now where they've been with him for a number of years is is where you start to uh, string together losing records and uh, get a frustrated fan base, you'd imagine. Yeah, and the, with the kind of talent he's got around him as well, you know, it's not like he's Marcus Mariota and he's throwing to people who've turned up out of the stands on the day. Um, I really like that you struggled to find a name there that sort of says it all. Try. When I was doing my notes for for the start of this, I was writing down names and I I was looking back at them afterwards thinking, I I honestly couldn't tell if I'd made these up or not. There's just, he's got nobody, apart from Delaney Walker. Yes. He's had nobody to throw to since he, he was drafted. Winston has arguably, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the best tight end talents going into this year, expected to be at least in, in OJ Howard. Cameron Bright as a as a good sort of second stringer. And then Mike Evans and um and Chris Godwin, who have been as you know, dangerous looking a tandem as as we've seen. And he's just he's rubbish. Yeah. Hit these guys, what can he do? And I think this this will bring us back on to Michael Thomas um, quite well, because after Michael Thomas, Godwin and Evans are the two leading receivers in the league, and yet they have a losing record. And I, I would love to 
do some really nerdy digging into stats about you know receivers leading the league with with teams on a team with a losing record because it just it's not something you you would assume when you see two receivers who are who are being so prolific this year um you wouldn't make the assumption straight away that they're both playing for a losing team um and then the saints by comparison obviously thomas is having a career year an all-time year uh with 94 catches already for over 1100 yards um but then we've talked endlessly about the backing cast being quite lacking and especially in comparison to tampa bay who seem to have so many options you know we're still throwing to like ted ginn uh jared cook has been pretty average uh, despite catching the odd touchdown pass and it really what it outlines to me is firstly the difference in having a franchise quarterback but also just how good michael thomas has been this year Definitely. Um, you look at the sort of people that Drew Brees has been throwing to earlier in his career, and um, you know, as much as we love him, Marquez Colston was never a generational <laughs> wide receiving talent. He was. He's on my jersey. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great player, a great service to the franchise, but you'd never sort of hold him up there with the Randy Mosses of the world, would you? No, of course. But one of the better seventh round uh, wide receivers, I would say, in the NFL history. Exactly. And you've got, you have a similar thing at Green Bay of of receivers, and New England even, of, of receivers who are not, who are sort of average people on paper. Yeah. You know, Bill Belichick's track record of finding people in shopping centres and turning them into Super Bowl winners. Yeah. Well, and Aaron Rodgers with Jake Kumar and Alan Lazard this year. I mean, you know, these guys just always seem to pop up. When you um, have a, a real quality and just inaccuracy as well as a uh, as a Hall of Fame prospect quarterback. You're training receivers to be able to break open on their roots, stop, snap their hands open, and the ball will hit them in the hands. Yeah. But with Michael Thomas, you've got someone who can do that, and is also he has the measurables as well. So he's he's that mixture of he seems to be pretty easy to coach, and he's he's got a great relationship with Breeze and. You know, he knows that if he gets open, the ball will find him. And Breeze knows that if he gets the ball in the area, that Thomas will go up and get it. But at the same time with that, he's he's big enough, fast enough, strong enough to be a great wide receiver anywhere. It's a really dangerous partnership. It is. And I, I spent a lot of time this week watching um, his catches and his highlights because his, his catch radius is enormous. He hasn't fumbled the ball once this year, which I think is a really striking um, statistic and then I think there was one catch um, down the left sideline where he had a bit of room to run and his stride length is about it looks about two meters long he's I've never really seen him sort of galloping down the field before but he's quick too and you sort of you lose that perspective when you see him operating over the middle of the field so much um, and and to be honest as you said he's just so physically complete but with such great hands and such a great connection with Brees that um, I, I honestly think, I, I mean, he's got six more games to go and he's already over 1,100 yards. So um, that's what, say, potentially almost an 1,800, 1,900 yard season. Yeah, he should be he should be easily on track to, um, I mean, this is already a better season than his rookie season. And, yeah, um, 10 games in. He's <laughs> 10 games in. Um, he's uh, He's got a long way to go this year, but... Uh, you know, even for the brief time that he was the, uh, the highest paid receiver in the league, which I still think we only really did to make Atlanta pay Jones more. I think that was just like a like a sort of sneaky plan from the front office of uh, whatever we pay Thomas now, 
Atlanta are going to have to pay more, so let's try and push it up as hard as we can. Um, but he he's worth every penny of it. It's as I say to have somebody who can fit into a system that is designed to make wide receivers look good and to excel on top of that is is all credit to him. Yeah. No, I I, I just thought we, we we've talked about him kind of uh, on the side this year because you just. He, his, he is so great that you just kind of take it almost for granted that he will have had a good game but I, I kind of looked at the stats and, and watched him this week and almost doubling as I said the yardage of Godwin and, and Evans and I thought we need to spend a bit more time talking about this guy because uh, he's just he's a physical freak and I what I love about him too is he's very confident in his own ability like his Twitter account is quite amusing um, to follow but he's not a kind of Des Bryant or um you know, Terrell Owen, someone who is causing drama or issues on the field or off the field. He's just very, very confident in what he's able to bring to the field. Yeah, it's that kind of, there's there's no Antonio Brown element there of um, that he, he seems to feel like he needs to uh, inflate his own personality or his own skill set to, to show off above and beyond what he's showing on the field. It's just, this is just a guy who, is excellent at what he does, knows it, and knows that he doesn't have to do anything beyond that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I just think he, he he's an all pro, all pro wide receiver, potential Hall of Famer. Four seasons in, he's just produced um, year in year out, and we hope that he can do the same again uh, in our revenge match against Atlanta this weekend. Yes, um, it's um, this is going to be an interesting one to watch because. Atlanta were. Oh no, I've got it wrong. It's the it's the Panthers. Sorry, this weekend. Oh, so we've got Atlanta. Yes, of course. So yeah, on that, on the Atlanta, both of them playing each other last week. <laughs> yes. Carolina, as uh, as good as Atlanta, as solid as Atlanta looked against us last up, and as good as they looked against Carolina. Carolina looked pretty bad. Yes, I think they looked distinctly average and I think Kyle Allen has gone from coming out the gates real hot to uh, rapidly stumbling at every hurdle that's sort of put in his way and I think I think I don't know Cam Newton's on IR um, Allen looks like he's falling to pieces at quarterback that it's all getting a bit too much and their defense hasn't really stopped anyone for for weeks so you know we've got every cause to be optimistic as we've talked at length about over the last couple of weeks in our division Um and I think especially with Atlanta showing them up, there's definitely an element of they've kind of woken up halfway through the season, but Carolina do just look like a, a quite an average football team at this point. They look like a team that have just have written the ear off now. And this is, uh, we've put the uh, the rookie in, uh, going to give the, the starter some time to recover and we're just going to see what he does and we're not expecting anything from the rest of the year. And um, I don't know whether it's a it's a pressure thing or they've now opened up the playbook for him. But um, pretty much from the second that Kyle Allen was uh, was told he was now the starter, he's just gone backwards. Um, I know we said at the start of uh, of when Cam Newton originally went down and, and Allen came in that it was going to be a matter of time before he started looking like a rookie. And I don't even think he, he looks that good at the moment. He he looks no. like a prospect. He, yeah, exactly. He is hurting that team big time. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really see... You've got to look at that and 
the only the only real threat we can see there is McCaffrey, and he's getting to the point of the season now where he's going to start to get pretty tired. Um, he's having to do it all himself, and that's going to keep happening. So preparing for him and preparing for Allen and the front office to be uh, pretty irritated with how they were last week. And how do you think we uh, we stop Christian McCaffrey? Well, I think, as you said, I think he's getting to the stage of the season where he may be fatigued. I know he's physically uh, an extremely good-looking athlete, um, but I think he does he is beginning to look tired. I think that's reflected in his stat lines. So I think everything that we've talked about that we did well in the Tampa Bay game about getting around the ball, um, collapsing the pocket, all of that stuff, um, and especially if there's little confidence in Kyle Allen as quarterback, then I think you can begin to stack the box and really assess your options there. Um, I, to be honest, he, he definitely doesn't scare me the way he did earlier in the season. What's your take? Uh, I think this is all going to come down on the front four. As if we're expecting McCaffrey to be the threat and to be shifty and lateral like he is, you know, um, tosses, pitches left and right, then the linebackers are going to have a long day. They're going to be doing a lot of sideline sideline work and you're not going to see as many heavy blitz packages as you'd usually see from the Saints. So it's going to be down to the safeties to pick up the blitz work, corners to do their job, and the front four to be as threatening and as as destructive as they can be in straight line speed, straight line rush against Kyle Allen so that the linebackers can stick with looking after McCaffrey. We should really have three very effective, very angry RB spies on this week to just yeah. look after him. And I think everything you've just described actually plays into our hands. I think guys like Von Bell would, em- would embrace doing a lot of that um, blitz work. And I think the front four at the moment, as they have been most of the season, are playing extremely effectively. And Cameron Jordan had another big game against Tampa Bay. So I think all of that actually plays in our favour. The linebackers have done a great job in coverage across the middle of the field, whether that is Davis, Klein or um, or Alonso. So, I mean, you've, you know, you should basically tweet tweet the Saints that game plan because I think it sounds, uh, <laughs> it sounds bang on what we should be aiming to do. Yeah, I think um, having having the likes of Alonso and Davis in there of you know people who are just as effective left and right as they are forward and backwards, um, and the the interior pressure. You know our D tackles are as good as uh, as Jordan and um, and Davenport can be. The D tackles are very good and they're yeah. they're good at closing those lanes pretty quickly. So if if we do manage to keep the contain and and keep everything in between the tackles and make McCaffrey work for his yards, then you know, he's not going to find any gaps there, I don't think. No, I have, I have high hopes. I think he is their, their one real weapon to worry about. I know DJ Moore is quietly having a good season as a sort of as Kyle Allen's safety blanket, but he's not really broken out any big chunk plays thus far this season. And I think the way that uh, the secondary are managing to cover, well, managed to cover Evans and Godwin in the absence of Lattimore, I think uh, I feel pretty strongly that, that this could be a really good defensive performance. Yeah, I don't think um, you, you'd worry a little bit about Eli Apple on the likes of Julio Jones and, and people of a, a bit of a higher standard, but he should be good enough for DJ Moore, surely. You would hope so, I think. And Curtis Samuel is a bit of a speedster, but um, I think that's where you've got Gardner Johnson, people like that in the slot who can who can cover that with a bit of help over the top from Marcus Williams. Yeah, and if we're if we're keeping the um, 
the linebackers on station and uh, making sure that they're keeping an eye on McCaffrey, then the Saints uh, safeties will be able to will be able to drop back and and watch those speed routes because you won't have the the sort of usual flat gap over the top for a tight end where where the linebacker should be if they're blitzing. And so decent spacing, decent pressure, keep the man-to-man stuff good and uh, keep an eye on 22 and yeah, it should be an easy day. That's Carolina game plan for. <laughs> it's definitely a coaching job in here somewhere for me, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We 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 are all well. I'm I'm frequently reminded by our um, waning listener base that you are the brains of the operation. I'm merely uh, a, a, a Saints fan. Yeah. My, my bit of the uh, listener base are probably would probably argue about that, but. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it seemed it's a bit of a quiet news week, really, on the Saints front. I don't, there's not uh, too much to go into um, besides previewing uh, the upcoming Carolina game. So I don't know if you want to jump straight into a prediction. Yeah, I don't think there's nothing new on the on the injury front, and everything else is, Which is pretty nice after the last ten weeks. Yes, that's um, that's refreshing, if nothing else. But um, yeah, I'm uh, predictions wise, I'm going to go for. I'm going to say 31-10 Saints. I think it should be a, a reasonably straightforward day. Yeah, nice. Uh, I think I'm going to go a bit more bullish because I was too conservative last time and say uh, 35-10. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not breaking the mold too much, but I think we might put up a few more points on them. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if Carolina score twice, then uh, I think that that just gives us more tape for the next week. But um, I don't think it's. Uh, I, I, even after the Atlanta one where we were so confident and then it all felt a bit so badly, I I really can't see this one going too badly. No, it's amazing the the change of tune or change of feeling. And when we were recorded last week after that Atlanta loss to this week, I sort of feel that all is right again in the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the status quo is returned. It just needs one one big day of everybody doing their jobs properly against uh, a, a flaky team that are easy to put down if you let them be flaky. Um, yep. But uh, if if there's anything that we've missed, um, make sure that you uh, you follow us at uh, at Saints FAT on Twitter. Uh, send your your likes, your reviews, and your subscriptions to uh, wherever you get your podcast from, either Apple, Spotify, or wherever that is, either on the First and Ten Network or on Channel Twelve, where you'll be finding this. And um, yes, we will uh, we will see you hopefully uh, in good spirits after Carolina. That's it. Thanks for listening.